Everybody to the TKW podcast. I'm your host Anthony Corbo. Uh, joining me as he does pretty much every week, I've got my co-host Brian Giverman. What's going on, dude? It's good to be back. And a very special jo- guest joining us today. Uh, we have Mayor Zokai here, or Mayor Zokai. I'm sorry about that. Uh, he is the agent for Mitchell Robinson, uh, and yeah, we're, I mean we. He's a former uh, sports writer working at the L.A. Times. Uh, where else were you at? Uh, I was at the L.A. Daily News for LA a little Daily bit. L.A. News. Yeah. Uh, as well. Yeah, so it, it's great to have you here. Uh, we're excited to kind of talk shop, talk a little bit behind the scenes on what's everything that's been going on with the team and, you know, everyone's favorite uh, center in New York right now. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thank you, uh, gentlemen, for having me. And really quick, just to uh, get things rolling here with a couple of plugs, make sure uh, you are following Mayar over at Zokai World. That's Z at Z O K A E I World at on Twitter. Uh, while you're at that, follow TKW Podcast, follow the Knicks Wall. Uh, please give us that subscription, that rating, that review, all that good stuff over on uh, you know whatever your podcast platform is on YouTube. Thanks again for all the comments, as always. Uh, hit that subscribe button and uh, check out everything we got going on at the nixwall.com. You know, draft coverage is in a full swing right now, and we are excited for the summer to come. Um, all right, Mayor, let's, I guess let's kind of start from the beginning of uh, where you come into the picture now. Like, you you're obviously have your background in journalism, you have it in sports writing. What kind of propelled your switch over to the the agent life and you know representing players now and you know representing Mitchell Robinson and everything like that? You know, Anthony, um, I actually always wanted to be a sports agent since I was a uh, I was in high school pretty much, and I realized uh, I wanted to get into sports, specifically basketball, but I wasn't good enough to be uh, uh, to evolve into a professional player. Uh, my father is a journalist; he's been a journalist since he was sixteen, so it was kind of innate. Uh, you know, and um, I was always around, you know, him writing and such. And I took a keen interest in uh, in journalism at an early age because of my father. Uh, so while uh, I was an undergrad at UCLA, I wrote for the Daily Bruin, started stringing for the LA Daily News. Stringing is just like, you know, going out for small assignments, maybe high school sports or whatnot. And in Southern California, high school sports are pretty big. Sure. Uh, and the Daily News and the LA Times at that time dedicated large staffs to actually high school and, and local college sports and JCs and all that. So, uh, you know, did that for a while throughout college, uh, went to law school after, but still maintained my foot in the door uh, with the uh, LA Times. Uh, and I just saw it as an opportunity for me to have an in. You know, s- some people are lucky enough to maybe have a family member that works for a team and they get a job that way. Some people are, are lucky enough to maybe get an internship. Some people are savvy enough to start their own podcast, you know, uh, or their own blog, kind of, kind of like what you guys are doing. Um, uh, I just knew that I could write my ass off 
And uh, that was an opportunity for me to get in and, and kind of be surrounded by, you know, uh, other people in sports, different, you know, dynamics involved in being a journalist, but you're still interacting with coaches and players and kind of getting it in, you know, in, in the world of athletics. So that was kind of uh, how I uh, got into uh, sports and I went to law school and uh, the rest is a little bit of history, but I'll, I'll go into that a little bit later. Yeah, I, I, so it's definitely the nicest way that uh, our site has been described before. Because I more look at it as pure chaos than uh, than you know even just grinding. But our writers, uh, you know, they they work as hard as they can. The rest of us are just trying to keep up. So she always shouts to uh, shouts to the sports writers out there. Uh, really, man, I, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's. So where where did uh, where did Mitchell Robinson come into the picture? Uh, so I, I've been doing it. I've been doing this for about 10 years. Um, you know, I uh, had a couple clients in the NBA and then overseas. Um, and I've uh, been mostly dabbling, you know, overseas now for the past couple of years. And um, Mitchell, uh, I was actually, you know, this is not information a lot of people don't know. I was actually uh, introduced to another player on the Knicks that will go nameless. Uh, that's actually not on the team anymore. Uh, this year, and uh, they were uh, interested in, in um, representation, a change in representation. So uh, I basically met with the player and some of his people. I uh, visited New York a couple times, and uh, the player wasn't ready for a change yet. Um, but, you know, I, I never am one to close a door or burn a bridge. Uh, so, you know, I kept my relationship intact, and then you know, through the grapevine uh, of being around this player and, you know, his people and, and uh, his assistant and whatnot, I heard that uh, Mitchell Robinson actually didn't have an agent. Mitchell did, hasn't had an agent. I uh, didn't have an agent prior to me since pretty much close to summer league. Um, well, yeah, he went that, about, that yeah. came across pretty you know, famously. I remember that happening. You know, he, he had previously, you know, due to the, the falling in the draft stock or whatever it may have been, it was, you know, around summer league, I was one of the things that really caught me by surprise. Where I was like, "This rookie player, uh, you know, doesn't have it doesn't have an agent at the moment." But I really respected his move of you know realizing he wasn't happy with his situation and wanting to you know move on from it quicker rather than you know try to wait for something to just come through or get better. So, right. Um, um, and what's interesting is he actually fired uh, his representation. I think right before summer league hired another agent and fired him within a month. Okay. See, that's what I was yeah. trying to get a grip on too. Cause I, you know, going back and, and just getting ready for this interview, I was like trying to remember, I was, I was seeing a couple of conflicting dates and I was trying to remember the exact storyline, but yeah, now I remember that exactly there. That's really uh, a fascinating move for, you know, especially a player who coming into the league was so unproven as Mitchell Robinson. Right. Right. Um, and then, so, you know, he, he kind of went through, I think his family said, Hey, let's go through a, a period of detoxification, maybe decompression. You know, you've already got your contract. You've got a great organization with the Knicks. Um, there's not much an agent can do at this point. They're going to develop you. Let's wait. And if we're going to do it again, let's do it right or not do it at all. Uh, so July all the way through January, you know, a, a good half a year, Mitchell was without representation, but had a great system around him, a great network of family and friends and mentors, as well as obviously, you know, great 
people within the organization, such as Coach Fisdale and Scott Perry, the general manager of the Knicks, and uh, Steve Mills, the president of the Knicks, and just just the whole staff just kind of helped foster uh, an environment where Mitchell could grow. And really, they were in essence, they were doing a lot of what, uh, performing a lot of what the responsibilities of an agent uh, is. And uh, he is lucky to have landed in a place like New York where they were so hands-on and so open to helping him. I mean, uh, and that's what we keep on hearing. Obviously, the the culture change aspect of you know this the team this year has been the calling card. I mean, we've been we've had the site running you know pretty continuously since about 2015 now. So you know we've been through a couple of the different reigns of of uh, you know organization and how this team was kind of planned otherwise. But this, you know, we've also been through a season where the team only won 17 games and it's just the feeling around the team between that year in 2014-15 to this year uh it, it's just astronomically different it's the culture and the whole growth there you know and from Fisdale from Perry from Mills and you know all the way down to every player it's just it's it's just significantly different and it, it just puts a lot of hope in the future right both of you guys were kind of associated with the uh, blog at that time uh, uh, during during those years, those lean years, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Brian. Actually, funny story enough. Brian, we had uh, launched the the site was uh, come through a pre- previous iteration of it that Brian was more of a part of, and then uh, me and Kyle and uh, that whole crew took it over at that point, and uh, Brian actually rejoined us pretty recently. So, uh, but yeah, it's been. I mean, it's just been the, those lean years. Is exactly what we were talking about. It's just. You know, growth and, you know, just trying everything you can to get some people, you know, in, interested and involved. And, you know, you set that base for yourself. You set that, uh, you know, you kind of set an idea and a culture around what you want to do. And, and it kind of thrives that way. And I, I just I can find a lot of similarities to where the team is going at this point with that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, from a distance, I always, you know, kept track of what was going on and, and I, you know, kept myself abreast of what was happening in the league. And obviously did see a different culture, like you said uh maybe three four years ago and you know attending a, almost every home game in 2019 man i i just saw there was this energy like you said it just it's a little bit a little bit of buzz you know um that felt like the fans knew every game whether a win or a loss was a step in the right direction and something big was building and uh, i think we're going to see it all culminate here this summer if, if you wanted to give fans a view into Mitch, who Mitchell is as a person, what's a good story that you have about him? Oh, man. I mean, this kid, he is such a personable, lovable, you know, guy. He's a seven-foot-two kind of goofball, you know, has fun. Really, the only mean streaks I've seen him exhibit are on the court. And I think maybe the only time I saw him do that was in was in Toronto when – you guys remember the the kind of now infamous Kyle Lowry situation. Mm. Maybe if some of your listeners don't remember, maybe you guys can kind of enlighten them on what happened then. You guys keen to that? Oh, that that's when Lowry got hurt, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mitch kind of what fell on him, in, inadvertently, right, right, right. And then Lowry obviously went went out of the game and. Uh, the fans reacted, and and then after the game, the fans kind of, even during the game, fans were just kind of attacking Mitchell, like, "Hey, you're trying to take out our point guard. You're just a, you know, losing team and all that." So, I mean, Mitchell, but, like, 
even that's Good. just like an awkward situation. I, I mean, even that, like, you, I, you know, Mitchell Robinson even looked at the end, of, you know, when he was talking about it after the game, he, you know, expressed that he meant no ill will there. It's just one of those freak occurrences, you know. It's absolutely, not, absolutely. It's, you know, it's not like uh, we can blame uh, Kemba Walker years ago for bumping into Tyson Chandler's knee and knocking him out for a season, you know, like. Oh, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's the same kind of thing. It's, you can, you, it's, these things just happen in basketball. There's no way you can get around it. Um, so but I, I can totally just that exactly how you describe, you know, Robinson there is exactly how I picture him and just the way that I feel like the Knicks have uh, put him out there and, you know, let people get to know his personality is exactly that. I mean, he just seems like that lovable goofball who is an absolute terror when he gets on the court. Oh yeah. It's a, such a, such a, you know, juxtaposition of, uh, personalities. And like right now he just flew in from new Orleans uh, on his way to his apartment, and I guarantee you, he's with his friend. They checked into the to his apartment, make sure everything was okay. Put some shorts and hooping shoes on, and he's probably playing somewhere. And he's you done know? that several uh, times already this summer, right? Like he's flown, like he flew back to Louisiana. Like he was back just a couple of days later, and then he flew back there. Like it's uh, yeah. I mean, just his his work ethic, and even in the off season, how you know, enthralled he is in with New York. It's just, it's really, really cool to see from a fan perspective. There really are no days off when it comes to Mitchell Robinson. And I think it's just because he's a hooper. He's not trying to like, you know, get it, get in tremendous shape here. It's, it's April, you know, we've got a long, uh, long summer ahead and, and whatnot, but he is, he's just a hooper. He, he loves uh, basketball as a penchant for competition. And, um, you know, that's maybe people don't realize this isn't a job for him. This is a passion. The dude uh, just loves what he what he does and doesn't really think about the money or the fame. Or you know, there's two things he cares about: which is basketball and his family. And then, you know, a third would be kids. He just loves kids. Uh, and that, you know, those three kind of um, values that he really cherishes says a lot about him as a person, in, in my opinion. When he was in high school, his role was a little bit more varied. He shot outside jumpers and did a little bit more. How did he handle having a very narrow role this season? It was you dribble handoffs or basically just diving in the pick and roll and dunking. So what, how was that adjustment for him? I think he believes in uh, what the coaching staff is uh, preaching to him. He he believes in the system. You know, he's, he's bought in. He realizes that this year, you know, the almost everybody on that team really just wanted to shoot. And, you know, there's not a lot of players on the team that could do what he could do, but there are a lot of players on that team that could shoot, and, and that was their strength. So he knew that he could fill that void that, you know, you can't put Alonzo Trier rebounding, putting up 15 rebounds a game, right? So he, he knew that he just had a player's role. He knew he would get, get a chance to exhibit what he could do. I mean, he knows it, it, it it's a weapon. His shooting is a weapon. His ability to, uh, you know, to even dribble is a weapon. He knows there's no reason for Coach Fisdale and the organization to not want to elite, unleash those abilities to, and uh, use it to the benefit of the Knicks. But I think they just want to kind of slowly bring him along. And uh, I think it was good for him because he realized, hey, I'm grinding down there under the basket and everyone's bigger than me, stronger than me, more experienced than me. Let me learn this part. Uh, and, and kind of become savvy in that realm. And then, you know, in the summer, maybe I can expand my game a little bit or, or expand 
the opportunities will expand for me to display other parts of my game. So, like, right, so based off of what you've spoken to him about, like, do you, where do you, does he see himself heading into the second year now? Like, is he, does he have some, like, some pretty set goals for coming into the season of things he's going to be able to do that's different from what he's done on the court so far or anything he's, like, trying to accomplish going into the early part of next season? I think he wants to – he definitely wants to work on his conditioning and strength. Uh, so he'll be doing that here in the summer. We've got a pretty good regimen kind of set up for him that we're going to talk about here. Uh, and then, um, you know, an opportunity maybe in the summer league to display his shooting. You know, guys, uh, I said this elsewhere, but Anthony Davis is kind of the prototypical, you know, stretch five, right, or, or stretch right. four, or just big man. But Anthony Davis did not take, I don't think, even one three-pointer intentionally in his rookie year. Uh, if he did take any, I think it was the end of the shot clock or whatnot where he had to heave the ball. So, you know, the, the guy that we look at as the uh, the poster child for what the big man should be, you know, in today's NBA, also went through a phase like Mitchell and knew that he had to slowly develop and slowly exhibit uh, all, the care, all the abilities that he had. So, uh, you know, Mitchell believes in the system, believes in the coaching staff, believes in the organization, and they, of course, know better than anyone else when is the best time to unleash the monster that is Mitchell Robinson in full effect. Some spot-up shooting could be pretty easily incorporated, but if the summer goes as the Knicks wanted to, there could be another situation where they end up with some guys who really need to have the ball in their hands a lot and are quite good at it. Is he okay if it's kind of a slow development leading up to and building up to where he kind of gets to be more of a focal point in the offense outside of just pick and roll and he gets those isolation opportunities and quick, quick dives on post-ups? Is, is, is he cool with that? Yeah, you know, like you said, he's realizing that a lot of things could change this summer, but also with those changes, a lot could stay the same, right? We might just get, you know, more experienced players in those positions, but still players that, like you said, you know, demand the ball, Brian, and, and, and need to shoot and have the ball in their hands and create. So he realizes that that's definitely a possibility. But he also knows with uh, maybe guys that come in that have a little more experience that, you know, have, want to have the ball in his hands, he could open up the floor by stepping outside a little bit, maybe taking the defender away from the hole, you know, and, and maybe shooting the ball from three, maybe once or twice a game. Um, like I said, th this this year is just a little bit different. He he didn't have a six eleven wing, you know, playing to play with. So uh, you know, if he switches out and he's trying to shoot a three pointer or shoot a jumper, there's really nobody in there that could that could rebound. Uh, but next year we might be looking at a different situation. Well, where did you see his game improve the most as the season went on? Uh, I think you know his his rebounding. You know, Mitchell obviously as impeccable timing when it comes to uh, shot blocking. I mean, it's just crazy what, what was he able to do in that, in that, in that realm. But I think just his rebounding, I think him realizing that really can impact the game as a rebounder. Uh, and really, to, you really have to make an effort to rebound. It's not just going to fall into your lap. And, you know, did have some lapses here and there, but I think he really did realize that, Hey, if I work on my rebounding, I'm going to be able to get a chance to put up some points. I'm going to get my blocks, but the rebounding is really going to make the difference, especially on the offensive end. Well, it's, uh, it's funny because we haven't really spoken about blocks yet. And that's, you know, you ask, look around the league, you look on Twitter, you know, you look at his highlights. I mean, 
it, it's it's the blocks from the from the three point line. It's the you know the rim protection. It's uh, it's all of those kind of things that we're seeing that we really didn't expect from him. But he's you know proven. I mean, his his, his block average was like two point four five this season, right? Something, I think so. Something yeah, about there. Yeah, it's like that's cool. it's it's incredible for a rookie player. It's you know especially with that how all over the court he was and. You know, when, when, you, when we're talking about him, you know, tr- whether trying to transform his game a little bit or not really that, but add to it, I should say, um, do you, is there any kind of discussion about him, you know, trying to keep up that, that same block rate while he's doing all these other things on the court or maybe about, you know, trying to f- pace out his blocks a little bit more carefully to avoid some foul trouble? Or have you guys had any kind of discussions about that? You know, I, I try to, like, meddle in that stuff. I try to just, you know, defer to the coaching staff for sure. uh, with respect to respect to that. But, you know, you, you can never knock a guy for trying, you know, to, to do that. Uh, I think we also saw kind of as the season went along, he also improved in that capacity, right? He wasn't going after every single block. And I think, you know, more often than not, as opposed to earlier in the season, when he was trying to block a three-point shot, he was blocking it. Whereas in in the beginning of the season, it was almost like 50-50. He was either fouling the guy right, very uh, or, much so. or blocking it. Yeah, he really, really learned to make that adjustment. And again, it's just everything slows down a little bit for you, but also everything becomes familiar. You know the tendencies of players, you know. Uh, and then, But everybody was new to him this year, especially a, a uh, Western Conference you know, team like, like the Lakers where he played them only once. He was injured the first time around. Uh, it's, everything is new, you know, so – uh, it's, it's still just with time. I think he's going to be able to perfect that as well. Who who was the assistant coach that worked with him the most? Um, I think it, it was a, a kind of a a group effort, you know, with everybody. That's what I noticed with the Knicks. Like it, like this summer, it looks like Caleb Canales is going to be, you know, working with him a little bit uh, outside of a base in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Um, but you know, uh, throughout the season. Uh, I think Keith Keith Smart was a was a you know integral uh, part of you know his development. Um, you know Fizz Fizz was there as well, obviously. Uh, I, th- I think it was just a uh, a combination of everybody kind of you know taking the lead in, in one in some capacity or, or another. I feel like the Knicks so, are a very underrated assistant coaching staff. Yeah, there, right. There are a you lot know, of like, former head coaches on there. Right. Um, I'm familiar with Caleb Canales, who obviously was with the Blazers, and I believe was an interim, right? You know, a head coach for them. Uh, Keith Smart, uh, obviously, you know, I mean, he, he not only as a as a player, but as a development guy, is just renowned, you know, throughout the league. Um, uh, what were some of the other guys? You know, guys like Royal coach. Ivy is back there. Right, right, yeah, Royal Ivy, right? I mean, Royal Ivy looks like a player himself, you know. Yeah. Uh, Pat Sullivan. I think Pat, if you had to pick one guy, I think Pat was kind of the guy that really, really was in tune with Mitch, especially in the beginning of the season. Uh, but, you know, J- Judd Buchler was there uh, as well. Um, you know, pr- pretty good combination of guys. You know, and Howard Isley, right, was yeah, also on the staff. So um, it's guys that are not mostly, you know, some of them are not too old where they can't relate to Mitchell on a certain level, but, you know, have experience. Like you said, uh, some of these guys have been head coaches in, in the NBA, uh, in, in, whether on an interim basis or, or whatnot, but pretty good. I, I think the future is bright from all angles when you look at the new York Knicks, you know, and 
Um, I think, and I think it bodes well for Mitchell's future well, as just, well. Um, are there any, you know, when we're talking about the future, and obviously we've touched on, you know, what the Knicks are kind of thinking about doing in free agency or, you know, whether it be the draft or whatever, but are there any kind of particular players, and you mentioned like a 6'11 wing, and we're all holding out for a 6'11 wing this summer. But uh, <laughs> do you, are, are there any other players that you could see uh, pairing well with, uh, with, with Mitchell Robinson? Like, are there any other type of players specifically that you think would go really, really well with him on the court? Uh, you know, I don't think you have to look any further than a locker room. There are some studs uh, on the team right now. The connection with Schroeder think... has been outstanding this season, especially yeah. towards the end. You know what? I, I, I mean, Trier obviously has been around all, all season, and Knox, you know, excellent player in his own right. And I'm telling you, was just turning the corner at the end, guys. You know, a lot of people were dismissing him, but he turned that corner. And I, I think Kevin Knox is going to come beast mode, you know, next season. He strung some games Whoever... together. It was exciting. Right, right. Um, and then, but I am very intrigued by one player, and I, that's Dennis Smith Jr. Okay. I think, yeah, I, I think Dennis Smith Jr., with uh, half a season under his belt, but with maybe, maybe a summer league, right? You know, he's going to be his third summer league if he plays. But if he decides to play just to establish some chemistry with Mitchell and Kevin Knox, I mean, I, I think, I think, uh, not only is Dennis Smith Jr. an all-star level player, I think he's an all-NBA level player. Wow. You know, uh, that, when I, praise. yeah, when I watched, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. In, in high school, there was nobody that literally could stop him, you know, um, and I, I, I talked to a lot of, you know, I have relationships with some college players. Peyton Pritchard, who is the uh, starting point guard for the Oregon Ducks, you know, they went to the Sweet 16 this year. He was a third-year guard and himself and much heralded, you know, recruit out of uh, Oregon. Uh, that's kind of held it down for the Ducks as a starting point guard for about three seasons now. He, um, when I talked to him, he said, one player in high school that I could not guard at all. And that was Dennis Smith Jr. And Dennis Smith Jr. was way up here, and everybody else was like five notches below. You know, and uh, that's, you know, that's coming from a guy who's potentially a, an NBA caliber player himself, Peyton Pritchard. But Dennis Smith Jr., I think, once he's able to establish some on-court rapport, with Mitchell and Kevin Knox, I think it's just going to be it's going to be crazy. And I, I think you don't have to look at say so you don't have to look in free agency when you have a guy like that who I think is a potential All NBA guy. Uh, you know he he's got all the intangibles. There's really nobody with, with the uh, ability that he has, and he's a dog, man. Dennis Jr. Man, he's he's got that motor. I, I think he's gonna he's gonna work out. I think with Mitchell this summer in Portland, I think they're going to be together. Uh, I think they've they've made that pact to work out together. With Coach Canales in oh, Portland, yeah. So the, those guys, those guys, are gonna be you know just you know with each other. I don't know if they're gonna live with each other, but I'm sure they're gonna be each other with each other every single day in, in the summer. Can we um, get Mitch to help him out with the hitch in his free throw? I <laughs> know, you know, there's no. It, people said that I didn't really pay attention to um, Dennis's shooting, but you know, I, I don't know what was going on there. But uh, you know, he uh, he's not a great free throw shooter. I think that's an area of improvement for him. But I think he's latching on with a trainer that I personally know, guys, because I've seen him work with other people. He's never worked with one of my guys, but I've heard this guy's name, kind of an under-the-radar guy based in Seattle, Jeff Harris. I think you guys are going to see him turn the corner this summer and have a D'Angelo Russell type of year. Uh, that's I, that's I, great to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can buy I, into I, that. 
I really, really, really think so. Uh, that I think every, I think the whole entire NBA is going to be shocked by what what happens with Dennis Smith Jr. after this summer. It's I think he's going to come out at the end of last year. It just right, absolutely right. It just felt like you know he shows up, he's on the team. He, we get a couple of decent games out of him. We get introduced to him at the dunk contest, and uh, yeah, and then it was just especially in those last couple of games where you know I mean you saw Mitch thriving in those last couple of games. You saw you know. You know, it, it just—it was a bummer that so much of the of the roster ended up being injured towards the end there, because I think that, right. especially with Knox performing well, like you were saying, and you know, everyone else on the court, it just seemed like a good opportunity for this team to, you know, almost like a pre-summer league, you know, pre-say exactly right, yeah. and, and who knows, we might see that you know manifest here in in, a, in the actual summer league. So, uh, you know, it takes a lot for a player to say, you know what, I, I'm humble enough to play in my third summer league. Uh, because I want to establish chemistry with my guys, you know. And you're looking at two guys that are 21 years old, man. Imagine yeah. like if Kobe and Shaq played at 21, right? <laughs> uh, together, you know, like and and then well, they would have become monsters at like 23, 24, 25. And if these guys, if the if the Knicks have figured out a way to keep these guys together, that nucleus of Knox, Dennis Jr. and DSJ and, and Mitchell, wow, watch out, you know. And you want to add a couple of free agents in the summer? Wow. Dangerous. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so, just going back to Mitchell Robinson for a second, Mary, you had mentioned in uh, you know, I, I read an article uh, in Forbes earlier in the year in March uh, by Tommy Beer, and he had uh, he mentioned that, or you had mentioned that Mitch was not only trying to go for the uh, for the Rookie of the Year conversation, but he was looking towards Defensive Player of the Year as well. Uh, you know, it hasn't been announced yet. Votes are. Uh, I mean, we're not voting members, so I don't know if votes are in or not. But, uh, but you know, we have we haven't heard anything new, any news back on that. But for next year, defensive player of the year, like how is is that a is that a goal you guys are searching for, or, or is it really just development and grow towards the next level of his game? If you are aiming to become an MVP in the league, that means your goal is to have the ball in your hands. And do a lot with it, right? And I'm not saying it's a selfish endeavor, but it, it's a uh, high volume kind of high high player usage kind of endeavor, right? But if you're you're aiming to be defensive player of the year, is there a more unselfish award in the NBA than that, where you are saying I am trying to impact the game without having the ball, right? I am going to make my team uh, win, and I'm going to impact the game without ever needing the ball in my hands. And part of that is helping my my teammates when they falter or their man beats them. Like, I, I think I think that is a great goal to have. I'm not saying MVP isn't a, a good goal to have or scoring leader or triple doubles, but is there a more unselfish end-of-the-year award than that? And uh, I think, is there any player that... I didn't, I didn't see a player impact the game the way Mitchell did this year. There was guys coming in. I remember that one game, right? You guys remember Dwayne Wade's game, his last game pretty much in the Garden? Yep. There was one possession. James Johnson, I don't know what the heck he was doing. He literally came down the lane, spun, realized Mitchell Robinson was there, and just spun out of bounds under the basket, literally under the basket. And that's because he yep. did not want to get his you know, his stuff swatted. He's a threat already. He's a... Right? Yeah, so I'm excited to see how that grows. Uh, before, before we get you out of here, Mayor, I just, my question was, you know, we talked about him changing his representation a couple of times, you know, even before the summer began, 
uh, and then you know, you joined up. You said in January. Uh, yeah, yeah, roughly yeah, January. Him. Yeah. Um, so like since then, there's been quite a bit that's come off like off the court with him too. I mean, you know, there's not only the Nike deal that he was finally able to get himself that sneaker contract. But, you know, the RX Water, and I know he's got a deal with uh, one of the uh, Mercedes-Benz dealerships as well. So, you know, just I just I kind of wanted to know what your role necessarily was that, you know, getting him these kinds of things where, you know, other other agents had faltered in the past. And, uh, you know, what, what kind of you get what you guys are looking to latch yourselves on to moving forward? Like, are there other other people that you're trying to work with, uh, you know, at any point in time or? You know, just where where does Mitchell Robinson aim on positioning himself in the public eye moving forward? I mean, he is a New York Nick, guys, right? doesn't get bigger than that. Even in a lean year like this, he's still a New York Nick. He still gets a lot, you know, like what Jared Dudley, Jared Dudley came out and said today, we could be, you know, dominating the playoffs with the Brooklyn Nets, but 9 out of 10 or 7 out of 10 pages in the sports section in New York is still about the Knicks. So I realized that. So I know I was competing – I was competing against literally every single agency, and I found out so late. There was pitches made by agency A through agency Z, so I knew I had, I had you know a lot to go against. So I came into the t- I came to the table having already secured deals for Mitchell. I had already secured a Mercedes Benz deal. I had already secured a water deal. I had already secured a hotel deal, and I came in like this. I said, "I've already done this. These are people that want to work with you here." If you don't even want to work with me, it's no hard feelings. It's no harm to me. At least I was able to establish relationships with these entities, have these. But I want you to know, if I was able to do these without representing you, imagine what I could do when I'm on your team. You know? And I think everybody else came in. It's a hell of a pitch. With the ang- yeah, right? And everybody else came in with the angle, we're going to help you do this, and we're going to help you get a shoe deal. I already had a Vans shoe deal for Mitchell. Yeah. I already had a shoe deal that we passed on because Nike came in and said, Oh, wow. We want to do this. And Mitchell, I said, and Mitch is a big Vans guy. I didn't I know, know that. you could just, tell that with him. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know that he was a big Vans guy, but he just, he just said, Hey, I was, I love Vans, but since I was a kid, I wanted to be a Nike guy. That's every kid's dream, you know? So, so we did that. I left, I left that, you know, to his, but that kind of came as a byproduct of me already having secured another shoe deal, you know? So I, I came in, I came in with that angle. And now since I've taken it over, uh, his representation. We got we got three or four major deals coming out here in the next, you know, probably in the next week or so, and it's it's un, it's unprecedented. You know, like one of the companies is a major major, you know, co- company of, of uh, hair products, you know, for men and women, mm. and uh, they're they're gonna latch on to Mitch, and they they want him as kind of their ambassador. Oh, There's feel a hotel free to deals. drop any names here that you want to. Oh, you know, it's, it's not security. <laughs> This is not not secured yet, you know. I I, I just don't want to, I don't want to say it, but you know, no, I, I definitely let you guys know when it's done. But you know, don't want to jinx it or whatnot and, and lose the leverage. But yeah, he's, uh, it. My job is easy also because he was he's playing so well. But you got to hustle as an agent. You know, my stomach is not full. Uh, this is kind of what I what I preach to people, and I'll be hustling every day for something for my client because, and the rest of the time I'm watching him play basketball. I'm not working. This is this is not a job. Look at you guys. You guys are here talking basketball with me. You know, you have your own blog and, and, and whatnot. And it's not it's not a job. This is fun what we get to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit of a respite from the real world. And uh, I'm I'm still geeked when I go watch a game at Madison Square Madison Square Garden, and like my client is on the court. That's like so cool, man. That's gotta be a you know, that, that, feeling. Yeah, and and it'll never get old. And I and I'll never take it for granted. 
you know, the opportunities that I have right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess we're all, we're all very lucky. All right, so I do have to ask this. So Mitchell's contract is very team-friendly, but it also gave him security. It was nothing and not an amount of money to laugh at. Is that something you would have been, the four-year deal, would have that been something you would have been in favor of as his agent, or would have you advised him to bet on himself? You know, I'm, I don't want to criticize another agent's work, but it's very rare that you see a second-round pick get locked into a four-year deal. Uh, that almost used to be the norm like four or five years ago. But, I mean, as, a, as an agent, your fiduciary duty is to serve your client's best interests. And I, I don't think it's ever a good idea to kind of lock anybody in as a second-round pick to that. You know, unless you're talking like, you know, three, four, five million dollars a year, you know, it's, it's especially when, and when you leave the last year as the team option, right? Why even, why even have that? Right. Um, so it, it's, uh, you know, you're at their mercy. You don't want to, you're locked in for four years. I, 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 I would, I would never do that for clients of mine, but again, you don't know what was being said at the, at the bargaining table. You don't know what, what the alternatives were. So it, it's hard to say like from the outside, I want to criticize that, but all things being equal, you never want to lock in a guy unless you have to. First round picks, yes, they have to be locked into like four year deals, you know, with the two last two years as options, but the money is also much better. But second round picks, you kind of have an advantage there, right? Most guys are two, three year deals. And, uh, you know, he's unfortunately locked into a four year deal. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see if that even, uh, you know, uh, ends up being a four year deal. You know, there are some. Uh, there are some advantages to maybe the uh, the Knicks wanting to lock him in right long term. So yeah, uh, before, so we'll see. Um, Mayor, this was an absolute pleasure. Oh, uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Do you have anything that you want to uh, that you want to promote, or uh, you know, on behalf of yourself or Mitchell Robinson or anything like that before we get you out of here? No, just you guys are gonna be able a chance to uh, come down to the NBA store tomorrow. Yes, uh, a couple of us will be there. I don't think Brian and I will be. Actually, neither Brian or I live in New York, so we definitely. Yeah, I live in our. So, <laughs> but right. uh, um, but yeah, we're definitely gonna have a couple of people down there. Uh, some of our writers, a couple of guys from our management staff. So yeah, definitely, we're. Uh, are are you, I'd imagine you're gonna be down there as well. Yes, yes, I I got in today. Uh, we'll be out there tomorrow. It's a long day for Mitchell. Mitchell is gonna be invited to Prince uh, to. Uh, take your kid to work day at the NBA headquarters. Oh, wow. So it's so, a so take your kid and favorite NBA player to work day. Oh, awesome. So he's going to be doing, doing that in the morning. Early afternoon, he'll be speaking at Vettery, which is a sales uh, firm, uh, sales-driven firm. That's uh, one of the early investors was David Stern. Hmm. That's on Park Avenue. So he'll be doing a paid speaking engagement there. And then obviously the, uh, the paid gig at the NBA store. Now, I, I specify paid for a reason. All the money that Mitchell is generating from these engagements, he is basically passing on to his foundation. And it's a newly established foundation that he's going to use as an outlet to put on summer camps for underprivileged kids in the summer. Oh, wow. So, is, so, is, it, yeah, yeah. is there a place people can find that on the internet and donate to if they want to? Yeah, we're establishing that. It's, it's called the Mitchell Robinson III Youth Foundation. Uh, it was just established a couple of weeks ago. That's kind of an idea that I had. I said, hey, guys. You know, uh, let's maybe if, if uh, use that money and maybe it encourages people also to to come in more, right? Because they're like, oh, not only do we get the the player here, but we also are giving the money to a good cause. And actually, 
I think the traction that we're building with that angle is, is better than maybe just booking the guy for gigs, right? Uh, so a uh, pretty busy day from tomorrow, but I definitely keep you posted if you guys can help us share on social media when the website is up. You know, that, that'd be great. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, we're definitely happy to help there. That's, it sounds like an extraordinary cause. Um, where, you guys, where are you guys based out of? I'm in Chicago. Brian here is in Phoenix. Oh, cool, cool. Very yeah. familiar with uh, both areas. And you guys keep in touch. Let me know whenever uh, the Knicks are in your hood. And uh, I'd be happy to have you as our guests, uh, oh, you know, for, for the game. That's very kind of you. Appreciate that. Seriously, just don't forget, you know, and don't be shy. We'd love to have you guys there. Well, thanks again no, for coming on here. Yeah. yeah. No, just, no problem. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it so much. Um, everybody, just make sure uh, head over to well, – uh, you said you're still establishing the site right now. So we'll get uh, – we'll have that link up to Mitchell Robinson's foundation on our, uh, on our Twitter very soon as soon as, uh, as soon as that goes up. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you're following Mayor over at uh, his Twitter account. That's Zokai World uh, at Z O K A E I World on Twitter. Uh, make sure you're following the Knicks Wall TKW podcast. Uh, you know Corbo Anthony. Follow Brian Gaberman. Shouts to Kyle Maggio. Um, and we will talk to you all very soon. Thanks hey, you guys. You guys. By the way, wait, wait before yeah. before we go, you guys. You guys do a great job. Um... Uh, on on the site, pretty pretty significant amount of followers, and I just saw that you dropped a piece on Mitchell, and I learned something. I didn't realize that the furthest he had taken or scored from the basket was 12 feet this season. So uh, when I read that, I was like, whoa, you know, I, I'm learning something from you guys. So keep up the great work. Yeah, that's uh, yep. that's a piece from Harrison Leo. Uh, you definitely definitely an extraordinary writer. We're really lucky to have him on the staff. Um, so yeah, everyone check that out. I, I love when our guests can drop a plug for us too. That's, that's and great and great graphics. God damn, you guys, you guys got uh, it. Oh man, one dude does that. Shouts to Ryan Gray. One literally one dude handles all of our graphics, and my lord, is he not fantastic? So yeah, man, I'm telling you, like that's like better better than I see stuff on. I read the Ringer a lot, and I'm I think I'm they're pretty good with that stuff. But you guys, you guys are kicking their ass. I mean, if Mitchell graphic, I gotta get in touch with that guy Ryan. So if you can. Yeah. Please, uh, please do that. Connect us if you can. No problem. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Brian, whole team Brian TKW. Anthony. Whole team everything. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, we'll catch you later, man. Thanks again. Thank you, gentlemen. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. And everyone, Mitchell Robinson at the NBA store, uh, 430 to 530 on April 25th. Boom. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you all later.